0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life he gives.
1: So today, I want to title this sermon, The Beautiful Necessity of Reflection the beautiful necessity of reflection. And and I'd like to start with a scripture that's tucked away in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. It's a scripture that we might easily overlook, but I think it holds a really important key to a healthy, flourishing life of faith. So let's uh, turn to Isaiah chapter 44. I'm gonna invite Elliot up, who's going to uh, read uh, a number of verses from Isaiah chapter 44.
0: A reading from Isaiah 44. This is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord of heaven's armies. I am the first and the last. There is no other God. Who is like me? How foolish are those who manufacture idols. These prized objects are really worthless. The woodcarver measures a block of wood and draws a pattern on it. He works with a chisel and plane and carves it into a human figure. He gives it human beauty and puts it in a little shrine. He falls down in front of it, worshiping and praying to it. Rescue me, he says. You are my God. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect. Why? It's just a block of wood. The poor, deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all yet he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie?
1: So we have a picture here of a man creating an idol out of wood, carving an idol. And it comes with some pretty candid criticism, right? About the foolishness of what he's doing. And so you're probably thinking at this point, hey, I thought this was gonna be a sermon about uh, uh, the uh, the, the beautiful necessity of reflection. Uh, Not making idols. Well, uh, this story that Elliot beautifully read um, is actually the context for uh, a single verse in this passage that I want us to draw out of the passage uh, because I think it's a key to understanding both the passage but also a great many more things as well. And that is verse 19. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect. So this is a description of this man in the story, right? The idol maker. But it's also maybe, shall we say, also a principle. The person who makes an idol never stops to reflect. So let's take a little time this morning to reflect. Uh, Let's take a moment, if you would, to reflect on reflection. Would you do that with me? Okay. So here's the Merriam-Webster's definition of reflection. Unhurried consideration of something recalled to the mind. Unhurried consideration of something recalled to the mind. I especially love those words, unhurried consideration. Can we do a little bit of inventorying here? Thinking back on your past week, can you think of a time when you engaged in unhurried consideration? Where were you? What were you thinking about? Or if you can't think of something uh, this past week, maybe this past month. Let me ask you a slightly bigger question. Where does reflection fall in the rhythm of your life? Do you make room for reflection? Even if just in little ways? Let me ask you what gets in the way of reflection for you. Can I tell you something that gets in the way of reflection for me? There's a lot of things, by the way, that get in, refl- in the way of reflection for me. Uh, but one of them is if I don't stop to Sabbath. If I go through one busy week and then I just, you know, plow into the next week and I don't stop to uh, rest, refocus on God and delight and, and, do, and, and enjoy the gifts of, of God uh, uh, for my life. If I don't do that, if I don't stop and if I don't Sabbath, th- that's a reflection killer. What about for you? Any reflection killers? Here's another question. What actually helps you to reflect? Uh, For me, walking, going for a walk, it helps me to reflect. I actually want to put this question out there for you to give voice to. Is there anyone who might be brave enough to give voice to something that helps them to reflect? Anything that helps you reflect? Painting. Writing. Writing. Any journalers in the room? Yeah, a few journalers. Physical exercise help anyone reflect? Running? Running. Walking. Walking? Ah, being in nature. Anything else? I don't know about you, but sometimes when I travel, even if it's just like a day trip or I go to a place that I don't usually go to, it really sometimes helps me reflect. Retreat helps me reflect. Reading helps me reflect. Um, Listening to music sometimes helps me to reflect. Um, Spending time with a good friend who asks really good questions, mm, that really helps me to reflect. Well, I think it's easy for us to... And by the way, thanks for sharing those uh, with us this morning. I think it's really easy... Uh, to think of reflection as something that's gratuitous, something that's, you know, maybe we'll do when we have the luxury of extra time, when we're away on retreat, maybe one of those like particularly reflective times of year, like like Advent or Lent, you know, we'll reflect then. But Isaiah is telling us that reflection is not gratuitous, it's not peripheral, it's actually central to a life that is yielded to God. It's at the very heart of the life of faith. How do we know that? Well, we know it because God invites us uh, in the scriptures to reflect. He's uh, frequently inviting people to reflect. And one of the ways that we see this is that God asks questions. Right? The God of the Bible is a God who loves to ask questions. Think about Adam and Eve. Right? So Adam and Eve are in the garden. And they eat the forbidden fruit. And they realize that they're naked. And so what do they do? They hide. They hide from God. And God, uh, what does he do? He asks them a question. Where are you? He says. Well, did God not know where they were? (laughs) Of course God knew where they were. But he wanted them to reflect on where they were, right? Right? To reflect on the fact that they had hidden. That something had changed in their relationship. That they had taken a step back from God because of their shame. Think about Job. Think about Job. Job suffers horrifically, right? And he cries out to God. Where are you, God? Why are you letting this happen to me? What did I do to deserve this? That's my paraphrase summary of about 35 chapters of scripture. For a long time, God is silent. He doesn't speak. And then the scripture tells us God answered out of a whirlwind. Only the thing is, God didn't actually answer Job. He questioned Job. And this is what God said. Here's a few of the questions he asks Job. Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Who marked off its dimensions What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed? Or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you give the horse its strength? Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom? What's God doing here? He's inviting Job to reflect on the larger picture to reflect on the powerful ways that God's hand has created uh, the creation and the ways in which God powerfully sustains the creation and to see his life in the context of that. Now, let's fast forward to the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Jesus encounters a blind man, and he asks this man, What do you want me to do for you? Jesus knew what this man wanted. He wanted healing. And Jesus was indeed willing to heal him. But first, Jesus wanted to give this man something else. He wanted to give this man an opportunity to reflect. And out of that moment of reflection in this man's life comes a clarity, a faith, a simple request, a beautiful prayer. Rabbi, I want to see now, there are plenty of other ways in Scripture where we see God inviting people to reflect like the fact that so many of Jesus' teachings are in parables, in picture stories, that you have to use your imagination to understand and, and, to, and to get something out of. Jesus uses metaphors. He washes the, 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 the disciples' feet, and he uses that as a metaphor, right? So what would you say? Do you think God values reflection? I'd say he does, I'd say actually that reflection is a primary way that we are invited to grow in God. Because it's by reflection that we come to notice Him in the patterns of His presence in our lives, and that we begin to see His fingerprints on His work in our lives and in the world around us and in other people's lives, right? You know, I'm not sure it's possible to know God or to grow in God without reflection. And here's the thing. If we fail to reflect, right, if we fail to incorporate reflection in in our everyday lives, there's a real danger. And we see it in this passage that we just read, right? There's a danger that we'll begin to build idols. We may not even realize it, right? There's a danger that we'll start to become absorbed by our work or absorbed by ourselves, Absorbed by our agendas. You know, we probably won't be seen carving idols, right, and putting them in shrines like in, in the passage. But if we fail to reflect, there's a real risk of enshrining our reputation, enshrining perhaps our political party or enshrining our to do list, right, or any number of things that would really love to be idols in our lives if we let them. So this morning we're going to take a little time to engage in a reflective practice. Um, But first, I want us to see that reflection isn't just something that would be wise to do, right? It would be wise to do, but it's actually something that's woven into the greatest commandment of all, the greatest commandment in Scripture. One day, a Pharisee comes up to Jesus and asks Jesus, What is the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well, when Jesus uh, said that, He was actually quoting the Old Testament. He was quoting the book of Deuteronomy. And it says in Deuteronomy this. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. These words from Deuteronomy are a prayer that's prayed by faithful Jewish people for thousands of years. You might have heard of it. It's called the Shema. And the word Shema is Hebrew. It just simply means Hear. Because this prayer starts with the word here, here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Now, what I want us to pay attention to here is that when Jesus quotes Deuteronomy, he adds something. It's very bad when you quote somebody and you add something, unless you're Jesus. (laughs) Um, He adds something, he adds a fourth component. Moses says in Deuteronomy, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. Your mind. So, how do we do this? Well, Jesus doesn't tell us. There's no breakdown. There's no bullet points. It is up to us. to to figure out, to discern what it looks like for us to love the Lord with our minds in the context of our own lives, in the context of who you are and who I am. And So I want to invite us to be thinking about this morning. What does that look like for you? What could that look like for you, to love the Lord your God with all your mind? Well, if you're looking for a place to start— I'd like to share with you seven ways that the authors of Scripture show us that we can love God with all of our minds. Now, there are surely many, many more ways, um, but these are just a few. And the first is this. We can study and meditate on the Word of God. We can feast on it with our minds. In Psalm 1, David says, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on whose law he meditates Day and night. Right? So here we have a picture of someone who has found time spent in God's word so life-giving that he's come to delight in the daily rhythm of going back to God's word. Right? He's loving God with his mind. Secondly, a second way we can love God with our minds, we can intentionally focus on what is good, true, and beautiful. Whatever those things might be. Because what is good, true, and beautiful bears the fingerprints of our good, true, and beautiful God. The source of goodness, the source of truth, the source of beauty. Um, Whether it's a work of art. Kindness on the part of a stranger. Maybe it's a policy that empowers the disenfranchised and the poor whom God loves. Uh, Paul says in his letter to the Philippians this. He says, Fix your thoughts, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Dallas Willard, uh, the author, says this. He says, The ultimate freedom we have as individuals is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon or think about. The most important thing about your mind is what it is fixed on. You see, we get to curate our thoughts. We get to choose what we will fix them on. A third way that we can be loving God with our minds Uh, And another way, really, that we can be curating our thoughts is this, to take prisoner any toxic thought that invades our minds. Paul says this, he says, we take captive, we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. What we see here, Paul is using the language of a battle. He has a battle going on in his mind, and he is taking prisoner those thoughts that have no place in the mind of one who is being transformed into the image of God. So have you ever had to do that? Do you know what I'm talking about here? Like, have you ever had to recognize that the way you're thinking is actually toxic? And maybe there's a sense that, you know, that, that thought that comes to your mind, that toxic way of thinking, it's actually not even your own sometimes, right? It's like, where did that come from? <laughs> and you have to make that choice of like, do I, do I own that? Do I absorb that? Do I start to think that way? Or do I say, no, like that is not a way I, I'm going to think Uh, Thankfully, we don't have to uh, be taken prisoner by those thoughts. We get to take them prisoner. And we do it simply by bringing them to Christ. Jesus is able to free us from toxic thoughts. He is able to cleanse our minds and renew them. And that is good news. Amen. Fourth, fourth way we can be loving God with our minds. We can leverage our minds creatively, leverage our intelligence toward helping others and doing good. Right? So Hebrews says this, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good works. Now we might sort of focus on the love and good works part of that um, verse, but I want us to notice the word, the verb here. Consider, consider. Like that's the first part before you do the good works. You consider, you you plot, you plot in a holy collaboration with God. The invitation here is to actively use our minds to thoughtfully, creatively, intentionally serve others and do good. Okay. So fifth way we can love God with our minds. This is very basic practice gratitude. Paul says in um, 1 Thessalonians, give thanks in all circumstances, right? Now you might think that gratitude is a feeling, right? Something that you engage with your heart, not with your mind. And and if you were thinking that, um, you would not be entirely wrong to think that, right? Because it is. There is a heart engagement with gratitude. There is a feeling associated with gratitude. But if we want to grow in gratitude, and if we want to actually be able to live that verse of giving thanks in all circumstances, which means we're going to be giving thanks when we don't feel like it, right? um, Then we are going to have to cultivate gratitude. And that starts here, right? That starts in the mind. It starts with taking time to notice what has been given to us right? To train ourselves to see God's goodness and his provision woven so beautifully, so mysteriously, often very hiddenly in our lives, right? Uh, And then to give thanks. Uh, A sixth way, we're getting there, we're almost done. Are you tracking with me? Okay, sixth way uh, that scripture invites us to love God with our minds is to give our attention to, look out the window, God's creation, Jesus very explicitly invites us to do this. He says, "Consider the lilies. Consider how the wild flowers grow. Look at the ravens. Pay attention to the birds of the air." And he specifically invites us to do that when we're worried. He says, "Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body and what you will wear. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet" Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So when was the last time you reflected on a cedar waxwing or an evening primrose? God invites you to love him with your mind by reflecting on his good creation. Final, final point, seven. Um, we can love God with our minds by reflecting on who God actually is, reflecting on who he is and what he's like. Psalm 19, I reflect at night on who you are, O Lord. Therefore, I obey your instructions. Picture that with me, somebody lying down. It's night, which means it's dark. It's quiet. There aren't distractions. There's nothing to get done. There's no sense of like what time it is, right? And there's a sense of holding in mind the truths that one knows about God uh, in all of his goodness and being encouraged by those truths and and letting oneself fall in love with who God is all over again. So let me just um, summarize what I just shared. Number one, feast on the word. Two, focus on what is good, true, and beautiful. Number three, take toxic thoughts captive to Christ. Number four, leverage our intelligence creatively to serve others and do good. Number five, practice gratitude. Number six, give your attention to God's good, beautiful creation. And number seven, reflect on who God is, on who God is. So for our reflective practice, I told you we'd be doing a reflective practice, and I'm going to invite Sam up, who's going to um, do a little guitar strumming for us, or picking, as it were. Um, And what I'd like to do is take our cue from Psalm 19, which we just read. I reflect uh, at night on who you are, O Lord. And we're going to take a chance, uh, a moment, to reflect on who God actually is and what he's actually Like So in a moment, I'm going to put a list on the screen, and it's a list of attributes of God. But before we put that on the screen, I want to tell you where this list came from. This is not an internet list. This is not generated by AI. There was a few um, small group leaders who came together around a campfire this summer. And we took some time to reflect on who God is and what he's like and to journal. And we wrote down, based on what we know to be true about God from Scripture and from our lived experience, attributes of God. And then we combined our lists. Uh, So this is in no way uh, an exhaustive list. This is just what we came up with. So are you ready? Here it is. Okay. So what I'm going to invite us to do is to take a moment. I'm going to invite you to scan the list. Pay attention just to what kind of stands out to you. Is there just one or two or three of these words that stand out to you? Um, And uh, maybe they intrigue you. Maybe they surprise you. Maybe they comfort you. Maybe it's a word that you just need to be true about God. Take a moment and Pay attention to what stands out to you. Choose one or two or three of those words. After you've paid attention to one or two or three words that stand out to you, I want to invite you to actually just pick one. Just pick one of those words. You don't need to know why it stands out to you. Just pick one word that you would like to focus on a little more. And I'm going to lead us in a short meditation. And as I do, feel free to close your eyes if that helps you to focus. Don't feel like you have to close your eyes the first thing I'm going to invite you to do is just hold that word in your mind. Think about it. Focus on it. What does it mean? What does that word mean? I want to invite you to think about another thing or person or object that has that attribute. So for instance, if you chose the word gentle, you might think of a lamb. Or if you chose the word powerful, you might think of an ocean wave. Or if you chose the word nurturing, you might think of someone who has been very nurturing in your life. If nothing comes to mind, don't worry about it. If something does come to mind, I want to ask you this. How is this image or thing or person that shares this quality, how is that helping you to better understand or appreciate what God is like and who he is? What comforts you about the fact that this attribute is true of God? How is that bringing you comfort this morning? Receive that comfort. Let me ask you this, in light of this attribute of God, how might God be inviting you to trust him in your life? How is God inviting you to trust him in your life? As you're focusing on this word this attribute of God is there something that you would like to ask of God something you'd like to ask him for if there is in the quiet of your heart I invite you to ask it now Finally, what gratitude is rising in your heart as you think of God in light of this attribute? Can you take a moment in the quiet of your heart to thank God for who he is in light of this particular characteristic and for the implications of that truth for your life? Take a moment to give thanks. Thank you, Lord, for who you are and that you are good, more good than we can begin to grasp. Thank you, Lord, for coming to us in the particular ways of who you are. Thank you for helping us to reflect on who you are and for helping us to better trust in you. We praise you and we thank you. And we trust in you. Amen. Thank you for doing that with me, friends. Thanks for engaging those few moments of reflection. Um, Perhaps after the service, you might want to ask someone next to you, what word did you choose? I'd encourage you to do that if you feel comfortable doing that. Um, I want to close by saying... um, Mentioning why I chose the word beautiful in the title of this sermon, the beautiful necessity of reflection. When we reflect in collaboration with the Holy Spirit, who helps us to reflect, it builds us up, it aligns us with God, and it renews us. Paul says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does this mean? the renewing of our mind, it means that as we are being transformed into the image of Christ, God is slowly working in us the very mind of Christ. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Amen.
0: You're listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.com.